Hey, welcome to Educate for Life with Ryan Francis. Let's get right into it. All right, everybody, today we are talking to Kelly Travis. She is a high-performance athlete and now also high-performance mindset coach. So we actually met um, at an online course developer event um, in San Diego, which was super duper awesome. And I follow her stories on Instagram uh, fairly religiously. And I was just so excited to be able to have her on to talk about specifically high performance mindset shifts and really how the mind affects the body and how the body affects the mind. So hello and welcome, Kelly. Say hello to me. Hi, sorry, I was adjusting my headphones. Can you hear me? <laughs> I can hear you just fine. Okay, sorry, my awesome. bad. No worries at all. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. Yay! <laughs> so um, for those who are not familiar with you, maybe you could give a like five-minute-ish intro to yourself and maybe your connection to the topic. Yeah, absolutely. So first, I just want to give a little nod to Ryan because obviously your listeners know you're amazing. But um, I really connected with Ryan because he's just a genuinely amazing person who wants to help people. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's sometimes rare to see um, in different spaces. So I appreciate you and I love that we connected. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Um, yes. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I have a lengthy story and I will try to make it short and sweet, uh, <laughs> but relevant. <laughs> I, uh, as Ryan said, I am a competitive athlete and I have been a runner since uh, middle school. And I went to college on a scholarship and uh, was really on an upward trajectory to do some big things. Uh, unfortunately, as some of us can, as some as you, as some of you can probably relate, I didn't have the best mentors, and uh, my coach uh, was like a lot of uh, competitive coaches in the college athletic space and and just the professional space. In that he thought that if we lost weight, we would perform better. It didn't matter, like you know the other elements. So as somebody who was highly driven and at that time was always looking for external validation, um, I tied my worth to my success. So I completely fell into um, following what he believed would be best for me. I mean, he came up behind me after practice and would say, Travis, you know, you got some fat back there. Time to lose some weight. Um, And you know, I, I was not, I was a runner. I was not overweight. I was in a a lot of good shape. Um, but I, I fell into it. And within a year I had to drop out of school. I was hospitalized. Um, it it was not good. Um, and, uh, felt really bad about myself as a result because I, my last race as an athlete in college was an all American. I didn't go out the way I wanted to. Um, and I had big, big goals. So after I recovered and while I was in the hospital, I really, I, I remember Ryan, them putting a pick line to my heart. And I remember saying to myself, if I get out of this, if I can figure this out, um, I should probably ask, am I allowed to swear on this? Because sometimes words come out of my mouth. Okay. (laughs) Why? That's one of my favorite things about this is that I get to say whatever the fuck I want. Awesome. I just want to make sure. (laughs) 
Um, <laughs> so I, um, you know, I said to myself, if I get out of this alive, I, um, I'm going to spend the rest of my life helping other people. I don't know what that's going to look like. I'm not sure how it will evolve, but that is my, that's why I'm here. That's my purpose. Anyway, fast forward, I spent, I dove right back into trying to figure out my worth right after I got healthy, right? On the outside, I looked healthy. I was surviving, but I was not thriving. I um, made really bad relationship decisions. I, I put all my focus on my career because that was another way for me to you know, um, validate my worth. And so I worked to get to the top of my career and, um, everything else was just a mess. I was a hot mess. I wasn't actually taking care of myself. I didn't have a good relationship with food or my body. Um, I was miserable. I was working myself to the grind. I had terrible habits as a lot of high performers do because, you know, we pour ourselves into this one thing thinking that that's the answer. And then we ignore everything else. Um, And so fast forward to, you know, a period of my life where I um, was not in the best relationship, very toxic, um, toxic. Um, and I was pregnant and uh, that was kind of the starting point of me doing something about my life again. And it was knowing that I had a child that I had to take care of that um, catapulted my desire to say, okay, listen, Kelly, get your shit together this is, you know, this is not okay. You can't, yeah. you can't be responsible for another human being if you can't take care of yourself. Word. And so over the course of the next years, I, I started to do that work and I became pregnant with my second son not long after that and wow. was still in this toxic marriage. And I basically decided that I was going to, if I was going to spend time away from my children, I needed to be doing what I was meant to be doing. But I couldn't do that until I did the work on myself. And so I went back and I did a lot of work around health and uh, my habits and my mindset. And then I launched my business. Um, and it has evolved into what it is today. But uh, And it took some... You know, it changed over time. Um, but I love what I do. And I love being able to impact people in a way where they're successful. But they could be so much more successful if they did the work to take care of themselves. Yes. So highly, highly, highly underrated. Yeah. I think one of my greatest learnings um, as a late teenager, early 20s, was the idea of putting on your own gas mask before you mm-hmm. try to put one on someone else. I absolutely wore myself out um, trying to be the right person for everyone else and then like a freaking uh, rubber band snapping back to like, fuck the world. Um, y'all take too much for me. I need to focus on myself and then falling back. And as soon as I like recovered, then falling back into giving way too much of myself. Um, yeah. The thing with a lot of high performance athletes, that includes dancers. I grew up dancing. Yeah. Um, is that we tend to become this weird, like codependent slash masochistic you know, you have this very different relationship with your body when you're pushing your body all the time. Um, yeah. And for some people, that extends to their mind. I mean, I think there's also a tendency for people who have histories in their family, of whether it's drug abuse or other forms of abuse, for that codependent element to just really kick. Yeah, well, drug. it's that numbing out mechanism, right? And I think to your point, or to 
to expand on what you're saying about athletes or dancers or anything and anybody in that space, we think we're healthy because we're doing something with our bodies. But <laughs> my, you know, I ate vegetables, but I also ate a whole bunch of processed food and I was addicted to sweets. Like I told myself that I was healthy, but I was a hot mess. It's like junk food vegans, you know, yeah. I'm, oh, I'm, yes. I'm, I'm a vegetarian and people would come at me with all this stuff about how unhealthy I was. I'm like, I'm sorry, do you know what I'm eating? Cause I was a health nut. So I actually right. was eating incredibly healthy and I understood my proteins. I understood my carbohydrates, I understood my minerals and you know, I understood all that. And so for me it was like, but I know what I'm eating. You're talking about junk food vegans and they're like, I am. I'm like, yes, you are. <laughs> yes. Yes. There's a difference. There is a difference. Yeah. When you're like, I'm a vegan, so I'm eating mm -hmm. potato chips out of a bag. It's like, well, <laughs> yes, you're right. You are technically a vegan, but you are not a healthy vegan. Right. All right. Well, we could, I'm sure we could That's talk about- That's a whole about... other episode. Exactly. <laughs> we could There's talk also about... the junk food ketos, like yes. everything, all yes. of it. Yes, yes, yes. I think- yes. Um, well, maybe I'll just have to have you on again. Yeah, I, mean, I think we'll, that's a whole other conversation. We we'll can talk totally about uh, that re relationship between the body and food because I, it has been a thing for me, again, watching the young dancers around me, mm -hmm. um, especially the girls um, and the ideas that they had about their own body and how that played out in their eating habits and things like that. So, okay, well, now we know for sure, as soon as we finish, wrap this up, we're going to have to schedule another conversation yeah. um, because... Uh, yeah, we food. can definitely go a long way with that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fantastic. All right. We're going to put a pin in that. Yeah. Um, and let's jump into something that I think we both talk about a lot. Um, that's limiting beliefs. Mm -hmm. I think that, so something you said to me when we were exchanging notes back and forth about this was you have the power and control to change. The only person standing in your way is you. And when I read that, I had two kind of reactions simultaneously. One is that I have this um, really strong reaction against what I see happening a lot in the cell development space, this idea that you are responsible for, uh, or not responsible, but it's like you manifest everything that happened to you and like it's all on you. And I'm thinking, no, you don't have full control of your life. And I kind of, so I went through your words again and I went, but this is really about taking responsibility for what you can control. Yes. And that is yourself. And that, yeah, you may not be able to control every thought that pops into your head, but you do get to screen those thoughts. Mm -hmm. And you do get to do something about those thoughts. So I thought it might be valuable to start just talking about the role of responsibility and self-development from your perspective. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I learned this the hard way because I think that we all have a tendency to fall into a victim mode at one point or another, right? Yeah. And we blame everything outside of ourselves for where we're at. And, you know, there is, that's a learned behavior or it's a, it's a mechanism in terms of just the brain trying to protect us, right? Which right. you and I always talk about this. Like I've noticed you talk about it too, where you know, the brain is wired to run very quickly away from anything that's uncomfortable and painful, yeah. even more quickly than running towards what's pleasurable <laughs> and, and good, which yeah. is really fucked up. <laughs> but that's how we've evolved. And as a result, when we consider change or taking on any responsibility for our life, we close off and we make excuses and we look for anything outside of ourselves to be the reason we're not doing something. 
And that is such a detriment to our overall performance, our health, our relationships, everything. And I think that when we can get to a place where we understand that we have full control over what we're thinking, or at least how we interpret those thoughts, right? That we have a choice, then it completely changes the game. Now, I love that you brought up the fact that like there's this one side of thought where like you can manifest the shit out of things and everything's just going to happen for you. Right. And then there's this other thought process where you have to work to make things happen. Yeah. I think you can have both. I'm a big, big visualization person. Every day I'm a vis- I'm visualizing. I'm an athlete. I think you probably can relate to this. Yes. <laughs> um, we have to be able to attach feelings to what we want. And if we don't know where we're going, then we're not going to make decisions that own that. Um, and so I, I think you can have both. You can marry the two. Yeah, I, I've talked a lot about your brain not being just your thinking bits. And what practices like visualization do is they program the parts of your brain that work automatically. Mm-hmm. So, so often there's so much happening right now in the study of decision making. And there are people who are talking about whether or not we really have free will. And that depends on how they define free will and all this stuff. To me, the major takeaways that I have from that are that there are parts of our brain that are making decisions that we're not conscious of. Yes. There are automatic reactions. And so for me, what's so powerful is knowing that it is like a computer in that I do have influence over its programming. I have a default set of code Mm -hmm. that I entered this world with. And that's something that's so powerful is that I can use different techniques to rewrite parts of that code. And I'm not perfectly aware of everything that's happening in my brain, but the degree to which I can do something about it, for example, visualization. Right. When people right. talk about mantras or affirmations. Mm-hmm. No, I don't like affirmations that feel like lying to me. They feel like right. they're too outside Amen. of reality. Mm-hmm. Woo. Yes. Um, so like I would choose something that puts me outside of my comfort zone or starts to rewrite some of my automatic responses to things so that I'm either more aware in the moment or I can make shifts in the moment. And so what I think, again, what's so critical about that is I'm going to, Side note, come back, because I think it's important to state this. I think part of the reason people have trouble with responsibility is to be responsible is to be vulnerable. Yes, yes. It requires taking on emotional discomfort that's being pushed aside. It requires taking actions that may not feel good in the moment. And when I say don't feel good, I don't mean because they're unhealthy is why they don't feel good. I mean because they're uncomfortable is why they Mm -hmm. don't feel good. And so until we take increased responsibility for our lives, then the locus of control I talk about a lot is outside of yourself. That's that victimhood, right? Mm -hmm. Putting it outside of yourself. Whereas when you take responsibility, you put the control back on yourself. So in fact, that vulnerability is power. That that discomfort is power because now I am taking control of myself. And therefore, since I'm the only thing I can control is you know, I am the only thing I can control. The only thing I can control is myself. Now actually is when you'll see the situation change. Right. And so that's why responsibility is so important. It is. It's so important. And I I just want to go back to your um, speaking about the brain and reprogramming it because, you know, we, we accept things at face value, right? Whatever thoughts we have, we, we a hundred percent believe because again, the brain is lazy (laughs) and we don't challenge them. So we just choose to believe whatever we think 
and we have a life to show evidence of what we're thinking, right? And right. so we just stay on that track. And and if we don't shift the pattern, if we don't do anything about that, and to your point, the affirmations and the mantras and all that stuff, they sound hokey and woo, but they're not if they're used in the right way. <laughs> I am not a big believer in positive affirmations. And I know that goes against all self-help and personal development shit. But... <laughs> That didn't help me when I was in full-blown eating disorder or I was in a verbally abusive relationship, like telling myself that I was amazing and capable and powerful and beautiful did not resonate. But if I could just think about the next thing, if I could tell myself, you can get through this day or, you know, something super neutral that would get me one step ahead. I'm all about baby steps. Yes. Then that gives me the response. Like I can take responsibility for that. I can achieve that. It's doable. And then I can continue to move forward and I get that hit of dopamine and I feel good. It just keeps you going. I love so that I'm you like, brought up dopamine. I'm all about the dopamine. <laughs> well, this is this is something that I was talking about this in the the book club I did for about, you know, um, how many months was it? Four or five months. I basically was reading a book a month and releasing my summary and my opinions about it. And one of the first books I did, the first book I did was The Willpower Instinct by Kelly McGonigal. And you can still find all this stuff on IGTV. Anyone who's listening, they can jump over to educate four underscore life on IGTV and find this stuff. Um, People misunderstand dopamine. People misunderstand endorphins. People misunderstand, like they just think of everything as either desire or like getting high. It's like, or like satisfaction rather, not even desire. They think of things in terms of satisfaction. But the fact is dopamine works because you're not satisfied yet. Yeah. Dopamine, dopamine is a driver to go get satisfied. Dopamine yes. does not make you feel satisfied, which is why so many people talk about unhealthy relationships. Again, quick side note here. And people are like, oh, I want a relationship that always feels new. That's because they're craving a dopamine hit. Yes. They're craving a certain type of discomfort that is hinting at satisfaction. That's, well, that's what people become addicted to. Yes. You know. And that's why people don't accomplish their goals because they get to a dopamine only lasts for a little while. And, and then when you stop doing the work, it goes away. So that's why people leave relationships, give up on goals, leave jobs, because that like the idea of going after a goal gives you that dopamine hit. Yeah. You accomplish a little bit, you have it, but then if you get lax or time goes on because it's life and it's not easy every day. It's like, oh, I'm not getting what I need out of this anymore. I'm going to move on. Right. Yeah, and then exactly. We're done. Yeah. Exactly. Which is just not. Yeah. And that is, again, that's a misunderstanding of how the human brain works. When people talk about like, oh, it's got to be exciting. I'm like, no. One of the first things my partner and I talked about in our relationship, actually, she said to me explicitly was, I do not like intensity chasers. Ah. I cannot be in a relationship with an intensity chaser. I want to establish a relationship where we could just sit next to each other and never then just not worry, not think, not talk, not whatever. Like this, if, if you're always trying to find that next intense experience in your relationship, your relationship is doomed to failure because what you want changes and how you live changes. And are you never going to mature as a human being? And I'm just like, fuck, I think I'm in love with this woman. <laughs> <laughs> no? um, that was such a critical awakening for me. 
Yeah. And like, I wouldn't have known at the time this was a dopamine thing. Like now yeah. I know because I've done more research and I understand it a little bit more, but it's like, yeah, because that's what people are chasing. They're chasing this dopamine experience. Well, and now we have this, sorry to cut you off. Oh, now please. we have social media and we're getting instant gratification left and right. And yeah. like, nobody understands the concept of like taking the time and doing the work and that it's going to not always be fun. And yep. like, that's just life. And now we are going to have a third podcast conversation and maybe it'll be a round table with my <laughs> buddy Moon and we're going to talk about normalized exceptionalism. Oh gosh. Because I think that there is this thing that has occurred due to the speed of internet, <laughs> the speed of internet, the speed of the internet, the speed of internet. It has changed our culture. Yes. Um, and our culture is now at the speed of internet is what I mean by that. Yeah. Um, and so we see more examples than ever of people getting rich quick, getting popular quick, which A, is probably not true. They've nope. probably been working at it for years, but it appears to us as if it all yeah. just happened overnight. Yep. Two, for those that do have it just work out overnight and there seems to be nothing really redeeming about them other than they trigger a certain part of the human brain that makes them fascinating to you. So they didn't work for it. We, we've created this, and also the rock star slash self- um, esteem movement of the 80s where everyone thinks they're entitled to always being happy and, never <laughs> right. and, and everyone being famous. Um, we've pretty much fucked our kids. Um, and so there's this sense of entitlement that I'm supposed to blah, 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 blah. And then people right. say that on social media. And again, we can have a whole other podcast hour yes. plus just on that. So we'll, oh we'll gosh. stick a pin in that. Uh -huh. we'll, co we'll come I back love to that it. later. Actually, <laughs> listening to you and Moon talk, talk about this would actually be a lot of fun. Oh, that'd be so fun. Um, so anyway, I, I, to, to kind of steer us back yes. to this idea that changing your circumstances starts by changing yourself, not the other way around, mm -hmm. I thought it might be valuable to just talk about some quick remedies for limiting beliefs so that people can start to do that work on themselves in yeah. order to change their circumstances. Absolutely. Um, this resonates a lot, obviously, with me because of just what I went through in my own experiences. I mean, I you know, backing up to where I was in my career. I mean, I had high level jobs set around the boardroom table with a bunch of men. Um, but again, I, and I was stuck, like stuck in my life. And to your point earlier, I chose like being unhappy, that unhappy discomfort mm -hmm. over doing something about it for years because I was afraid. And, um, and I didn't, know. what's, yeah, I mean, Definitely I stuck know. with what I knew and, and I was comfortable with being uncomfortable versus just, which is ironic as an athlete, like you're constantly pushing yourself, but in, in specific places I wasn't. So some of the work that I've done and I do a lot with my clients and you probably do too. I really, like we were talking about, I'm a big believer in word, like using words. Mm. Words are so powerful. And like you mentioned, our brain is a machine. We, it's called the reticular activating system, right? right. It filters out the information. It takes in. It basically shows you what you already believe in yourself. But the right. beauty is that you can reprogram. And by reprogramming, it takes consistency. So you can't just do this one, you know, one day and, just, and then you're going to be like, oh, I'm amazing. I feel so much better. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. Uh, you have to do it repeatedly and sometimes quite a few times a day. So I do, I am a big believer in two things. Um, I'm sure you've heard of environmental triggers, Ryan. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and so once you know what you need to be telling yourself, um, and again, going back to that neutral thought, right? Whether it's, um, maybe you suffer from imposter syndrome and you don't think you're good enough and that you're a fraud and you're, you know, you're, you, somebody's going to find you out. Then you can look at, you know, the goal thought is that you know that you're capable and confident and you feel amazing about yourself. But the neutral thought is, um, I work hard, like, you know, something you can sink your teeth in and you believe in, Mm -hmm. or if it's a health goal and, and you're like, I'm fat and I just can't do this. And I've never been able to do this. Well, that is not useful. Right. Right. And you want to get to a point where you say, um, I feel amazing in my body, but you're not Mm -hmm. there yet. Maybe it's, you know, I, I can get up every day and do something for my body. I mean, yes. so powerful, you know, acknowledging that. I always tell people who deal with comparing themselves to others, start telling yourself that everybody has their shit. Like every day, just remind yourself, everybody has their shit. That <laughs> model who looks beautiful, she's got her shit. That amazing, successful person, we all do. So starting there with a neutral thought. And then what do you do with that, right? Okay, mm-hmm. so you know what that is. So I have a couple things and um, there was a study done, Chip and Dan Heath did it. I don't know if you're familiar with it, Ryan, Um, but they really identified the power of environmental triggers when it comes to changing and reframing your thoughts or just Mm. going after a goal. And what they found is like, you're 45% more likely I could be missing that, but there's a, there's a study out there. (laughs) So the power in environmental triggers is you're reminded of this because we're not consciously, if you've been having these stories over and over in your brain, you're not going to consciously just be able to pull out the positive, right? Right. You have to set yourself up for success. I'm all about that. So if you have a mirror in your bathroom, post something on it, right? You can post the words, you can post the phrase you want to be saying to yourself. If you have an alarm on your phone that you can put the words in, set that mantra, that phrase to go off at certain times of day when you know you're susceptible of going down that deep, dark spiral, right? So if it's somebody who's trying to overcome some uh, healthy habits or create new ones, maybe they find themselves in the pantry at 9 p.m., Maybe around 8.45, you set an alarm that says, you know, you're, you're capable of choosing a healthy choice. Yes. Something simple, right? Right. Um, so I love that. And then my favorite, mm. and I have a lot of clients do this. We work at computers a lot. We have yeah, to put a I'm password in all yep. the time. Yep. Putting in something. Like I have people where I put have them like literally the password is breathe. Like. Yeah. <laughs> Because when you're stressed and you're overwhelmed, you've got to be able to have something. But I love that as a as a way to reprogram. Yeah, our friend Danielle is the one who I learned that from when she posted in our group about that. Um, oh, did she? She did. Yeah, love she's it. like everybody. I just was just talking to so and so about this, and I remember someone taught this to me, and so I want you all to hear this. I want you all to change your passwords to your goal for the year. Yes, it's um, so powerful. And in that study, there was a man who was trying to quit smoking, and his password was like quit smoking forever. Mm. And he did it for a week and he quit smoking. Like the brain is that, it's called neuroplasticity, right. as you know. We can do, like, it doesn't know the difference between reality and um, what we're trying to feed it. And so if there is an emotion tied to it, it can change. It's that 
you know. And that emotion tied to it is really critical. Um, I tend to be a very, like, I am a very emotional person, i.e. Mm-hmm. I am very close to my emotions and experience my emotions fully. Yeah. At the same time, I am a very rational person. And and being a very intense child, I learned very early how to compartmentalize my emotions in order to be a highly functional human. And so I was having a great conversation with Preeti recently about how I was struggling to meet some of, my, some of the goals in my business. And the conclusion I came to was because I wasn't accessing my emotion around it because I'd put my emotion in a box yes. and was taking pl- well-planned steps forward. But once... I had gotten those steps done and had to make a new plan. It was as if the floor had been removed from underneath me and I didn't have anything to push me in to jump into that chasm. I didn't have that emotional, like full experience of my why in that moment. Yeah. When you were giving me those, you know, sharing those beautiful words at the beginning of our conversation about me, I really appreciated it. Uh, Cause it's that little reminder um, in the last two weeks have been rem- like, unpacking that emotion and making it more present so that I could use it as fuel. Um, Mm -hmm. So I could be like, no, this is my why. This is why I'm doing what I'm doing. I am here to help people. That's exactly, exactly why I'm here. And I just had a great conversation with a colleague yesterday who will also, Linda, she's a marriage family therapist. I'm going to have her on the show here soon. And we were talking about Um, suffering. And I was relaying how when I was a child, I wanted to remove the suffering. Mm -hmm. And as an adult, I realized that no, that's not it. Suffering is necessary. There's Mm -hmm. a necessity of suffering for change. And so now I want to help people have the least amount of suffering necessary to still make the, the changes they want in their life. So it's not removing all suffering. It's how can we reduce your suffering while still maintaining the necessary suffering to get accomplish what you want to accomplish? Well, and I think to take that just a step further, um, we can't, we have to have contrast of emotions, right? You can't, we can't be happy if we're not, we don't have sadness and we can't be, you know, proud if we're not full of shame once in a while. I think the, the power comes in acknowledging how you're feeling and, and witnessing that feeling and then moving on as a society, we've gotten, it's so accept, it's acceptable to use other things mm-hmm. to avoid feeling. And so we've shut that off. Yep. So we feel something that we don't think we're allowed to feel or should feel, especially in our society, in America, you're supposed right. to be happy all the time, right? <laughs> then we are like in the pantry or we're drinking a bottle of wine or we're, you know, it's just, uh, it's a numbing, a coping mechanism instead of just saying, you know what, I don't, I feel like I'm sad today yeah. and this is why, and I'm going to own it for a little while and I'm going to work through it and then I'm going to move on right. instead of pushing it. And then it's going to show up in a toxic way. Yeah. So actually, I want to circle back because, again, I'm sure we could talk about this this particular mm-hmm. element of emotion because I think it plays into limiting beliefs as well. Um, I actually just got lost in my own thought. I apologize. Um, <laughs> there, okay. There's this idea of, like we were talking about remedies to limiting beliefs. Mm-hmm. I appreciated that you shared that you even scale your beliefs. So I talk a lot about scaling goals. Yes. 
but this isn't just scaling goals explicitly, like as in um, actions in the world. This can also be actions in our own mind. I talk about thoughts being actions. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you saying there's, you can acknowledge the ideal thought, but you need a bridge thought, right? You need yes. a thought. Yes. So how, how can I create this bridge thought, this neutral thought yep. to get me out of this negative space? Mm-hmm. Because again, if, if we understand that our thoughts create our feelings and our beliefs are basically our thoughts and feelings on repeat. Mm-hmm. Then in order to change our beliefs, it typically requires us to change the thought, to change the feeling, to change the belief. Yes. So by just moving to neutral is huge. That's a fulcrum, right? That's a lever. Yep. That's Mm -hmm. a crowbar. Like get in there. Yep. Yeah. It takes you out of the negative space and it gets you back into the power role versus, you know, going the opposite direction. So And it's realistic. Yes. Like we have a tendency to think we have to think these amazing thoughts and we, you've got to understand you have to meet yourself where you're at. Like you, we, you know, stop comparing yourself to others and really meet yourself where you're at in your own journey and figure out what that needs to look like. Yeah. And this is, again, this is evolutionary. This is, we are built to mm-hmm. be this way because it is for the survival of the species. This is an excellent strategy. Yes. Being fearful, being a victim, doing all these things, having winners and losers. This is incredibly valuable as, as part of our evolutionary journey. However, yes. we live in a society now where there doesn't always have to be winners and losers. We live in a society now where you can accomplish more things than just being a drone. We don't need as many drones in our culture anymore as we used to. Um, and so these things are very valuable to consider how I can, we can break out of these default programming and how it actually will be valuable for, for us collectively. But that of course is also a very high minded idea. Um, (laughs) Next time on educate for life with Ryan Francis. I actually think this is an excellent transition into, you know, we're talking about scaling something that you stated to me um, that I kind of defined as plan the work, work the plan. That's exactly what I say to people. Yes. We we connected. Uh Um, You know, so I wanted to ask you for you, what is the ideal way to plan? Hey again, thanks for listening. If you want more goodness, come hang out with me on Instagram at educate four underscore life. That's educate the number four underscore life. I jump on almost every day and go live once per week to answer questions and just talk about what's on my mind. We've got some cool stuff coming down the pipe, so expect some announcements in the near future. And with that, I hope you have a great week. Talk with you soon.